the new check-in area, uh, you're going to walk on the right side of the special Christmas, uh, what is that, pylons? I don't know. <laughs> walk on the special Christmas pylons. Walk on the right side and, uh, and try to space out just a bit. And uh, this is our first time doing uh, bringing kids back into kids' ministry upstairs. So give us, uh, give us a little bit of uh, grace there as we learn how to do that. But we are so excited. And it's decorated for Christmas up there, guys, which I think you will love, okay? So uh, I'll let everybody else do that. And uh, the rest of us, if you're staying in here, kids, great. We'd love to have you here as well. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so great to see you guys. Um, we're going to be in the book of Revelation today. So if you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 7. But while I want you to turn there. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. But we're going to begin our journey in Matthew chapter 2, which I believe we've got on the screen for you. So keep your, keep your Bible open to Revelation 7, uh, but we are going to read Matthew chapter 2 together, and this is on the screen in front of you. Matthew chapter 2, this is God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would be with us, open our eyes, open our ears. God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts this Advent season. It's a unique one, but I believe, God, you've got a unique encouragement for us. So I pray that we would receive that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, around the holidays, you may do what we do, which is to look at old family pictures. Maybe you find some pictures from Christmas past or Thanksgiving past, and maybe you have the experience that we often do at times, where you look through these old uh, sort of photo albums or uh, your, I don't know, your Instagram from a few years ago around the holidays, and you see your mom, your dad, your cousins, your, you know, great uncle or whatever, and then Maybe you have the experience that I often do when I look at old family photos. You think, okay, I know, I know Aunt, you know, uh, this person and Uncle Lefty, and who is that guy? And so you end up asking mom, who is this guy? Like, is that, is that Cousin Albert's brother, you know, or is that somebody's neighbor? Or I know I think that was somebody, one of our cousins from California, they were visiting at the time, and I think that was their adopted stepdaughter, you know, like, and, and you're trying to figure out who are those people, right, every once in a while. Um, we recently had this where we found a picture. It was like, oh, it was an adorable picture. And then there was one person like, who is that? Like, I don't want to know if I want to put that on the fridge. I don't even know who that is. Now, this text, this story of the wise men is a little bit like that in the story of Christmas, right? We, we're used to sort of the cast of Christmas, which, which is Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels. And if you notice, all of these people, while they're different and have important differences, they're all kind of the same. They all have from the same places, from the same skin color, same languages. And yet then off to the side of the Christmas photo is this other group that you're like, how did they get in the photo? Uh, Matthew's gospel is very concerned with the sort of the Jewishness of Jesus, the, the fulfillment of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And it's odd that right in the beginning of Matthew's gospel is this whole section about these men from the east. 
what is going on with these guys? Well, here's why I think they're in the Bible. And I think this is what we are meant to learn this morning, that Christ was born for those far off, not just for those who are near. Christ was born for people outside of the ethnic or political or social or national lines, and this truth has an effect on us. If we see these men, see this full Christmas photo, as it were, we aren't just drawn to meditate on Christmas for ourselves and treasure it up on our hearts as we should. We're meant to be pushed outward to mission to see who are the far-off people around us that could be invited to Jesus. And so one of the things I think that's happened this year, at least in my heart, is this year has sort of shrunk my world. Um, it's shrunk our world to the four walls of our home in so many ways. And if we stay there, if our hearts stay there, we will shrivel up, as it were. But if we take this journey and see Christ inviting the far off, I think our sense of purpose will be restored and, and the Lord will expand our horizons this Christmas season. So uh, three stops on our journey this morning. First is the multitude, which is why I had you turn to Revelation 7, the multitude. Now, the reason that Matthew's gospel is so con- the reason that Matthew's gospel, which is so concerned with Christ- with a Jewish tradition and scripture, includes these men, is that these men are a fulfillment of a long Old Testament theme from the very beginning of God's people, when God calls this pagan guy named Abraham and promises that through him all the people of the earth will be blessed. From there to the reign of Solomon, where many nations are coming into Israel, all the way through the prophecies of the Old Testament, promising that one day all the nations would be gathered to uh, the rule and reign of God. We, we see that theme, in essence, fulfilled through these magi, but also see that theme continue through them all the way to the very end of the story, because in what begins in the Magi ends in a multitude. Revelation chapter 7, look at verses 9 and 10 with me. It says this, after, I looked and be, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? The end of the story is that this group of far-off people from all corners of the world come and are gathered to Jesus and his kingdom. Notice even just the, the words here. It says every nation. That means nationality. That means Mexicans, Ghanans. Filipinos, Aussies, Iranians, and yes, even Canadians. If you're from Canada, this service is for you. We hope it's a blessing. It says every tribe, which means culture, right? In India, uh, perhaps like with the Viotoro families ministering, that you're talking about the various castes, the various classes, the traditional Hindus and the traditional Muslims. In America, the cultures are diverse. It may mean, it may mean people with skinny jeans and people with baggy jeans, people with pickup trucks and people with Priuses, people who listen to K-pop on the way here and people who listen to country music. Even those two groups, yes, even them are gathered I think at the end of history, every people means ethnicity, 
people with last names like Viatoro or O'Malley, people with first names like Jayaprakesh and Songwan. Every tongue, every language, every dialect, that means Tagalog and Greek and the Queen's English. This is God's design, guys. This is his plan. This is his purpose. And, and you see how strange and beautiful it is when you imagine these magi finally coming to meet Jesus. And, and we picture that as like, oh, this is this sweet moment. Uh, listen, this was a weird moment. They would have seen these guys coming down the road, dressed in a different way, looking uh, different. Maybe their Hebrew wasn't the best, right? They could obviously talk to Herod and others, but, but it, it was not a first language for them. So maybe they were struggling to communicate. Like, wait, why are you here? Like, we've come to see the child. Like, who are you? Right? It's this moment of this clash of cultures, but that clash of cultures is a, both a fulfillment of the Old Testament and a promise of what will to come, what will come. Uh, Green, one of the commentators on this text says, had not Isaiah foretold something very similar? And then he quotes Isaiah. The Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And Green comments this. The movement began with the visit of the Magi. It has continued like a swelling river to this day. And at the end of history, we'll see that swelling river is overflowing with a diverse multitude. So what brings this multitude together, right? We, we, we know well how easy it is for our world and our country and our lives to be divided along these lines. What unites this group? Listen to their song. They sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? The, the multitude is united by their experience of salvation. It references them having their robes washed in the Lamb's blood. All of us, all of us who come to Christ have in and of ourselves dark and dirty and stained robes. But the Lamb, the Lamb changes everything. The Lamb offered in our place cleanses us from sin and brings us back to God. We are united both in our experience of, man, we're all dirty, we're all stained, nobody's standing above anybody else, and we're all united by, by being washed completely clean, the same shade of clean as the person next to us. The multitude is also united by the king itself. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, right? Everyone in these nations and cultures and peoples would have different rulers, different kings, different culture shapers. And, but this multitude is united under the banner of God himself. The multitude is not united under an American flag or under an ideal level of melanin or a set of national borders. The multitude is united by one thing, by the king on the throne. They all have the same king, the same laws, the same allegiance. Now, what does this mean for us today? Well, first, listen, if you're here, maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you, you're intrigued by Jesus. Maybe you even grew up going to church, but you have been standing far off from Jesus because you have this deep kind of underlying suspicion that Jesus didn't come for people like me. Maybe you're tempted to think, well, well church people look this way. Christian people all look this 
way. Look, if you are hearing this, Christ is inviting you. Christ did not just come for one passport color or one skin color or one income bracket. Christ is for all these peoples and he is for you. And you, through the blood of the lamb, can come and live under the good reign of Jesus today. The Magi are an invitation for even you to come. But second, this means for all of us who are in Christ that, that we must remember that Christ is for them, whoever they are. The, the special emphasis of the text is that the multitude includes those furthest from us, right? Not just the us, the people that look like us, think like us, make money like us, live like us, but the others, whoever they are. And, and in fact, this emphasizes that, that those naturally opposed to us by ethnicity or culture or income or political persuasion, Christ is for them as well. We do not know who God will save in his providence, but we know that the multitude will include some of each of them, whoever they are. And when we see the multitude, church, our heart rejoices. We long for the multitude. It is simultaneously intriguing and bizarre and attractive. A couple years ago, I was returning from a pastor's conference, and we were a group of us were eating in the airport on the way home. We we're all going to catch flights to various places, and so but we had a couple hours to kill, so we go to the restaurant in the airport, and we're eating there, and we end up sharing a table with another couple because they were short on tables, and so we're kind of shoved up with this other couple, and we start ch chatting with them, and they're friendly, and, and we're talking to them. And, and finally, they kind of pause, and they, they look over, and they ask us, so who are you guys? And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like kind of motioning to the table like, well, how did you, I mean, what is, like, is this, what, what are you? I mean, how did you come together? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And so I look over, and I realize at our table, there's, uh, there's an Australian guy who's not actually Australian. He moved from England to plant a church in Australia. So we've got that guy. We've got two Mexican guys. Um, we've got uh, a, a Middle Eastern by ethnicity guy who pastors in Midland, our friend Billy. Um, we've got a, uh, a tall, white, suburban pastor. We've got me, a shorter, um, Hispanic-ish pastor. And we're all sitting at this table um, and, and the funny thing is, we're talking like, and I realize these guys are talking like long-lost relatives reunited at like a 20-year family reunion. It, it's not like a business going like, oh, well, it's nice to, like we're, you know, slapping each other on the back and hugging each other and laughing. And, and I could see this couple is looking at us and going, I don't understand this, whatever this is. Whatever is happening here, I'm not, get, I'm not understanding what brought you together. Is this a business of some kind? Like, no, it's Jesus, right? We're pastors. And they were like, wow, right? There's something uniquely attractive. There's something in our hearts that goes, yes, that is it. That's what I long for. That is where Jesus is taking us. Isn't that good news? That's Christ's heart at Christmas. The Magi are a reminder that the far off are brought near, and, and when they're brought near, a multitude of people form that's beyond what the world can make. That's the first stop, the multitude. Second, the messengers. 
Now, we live between the Magi and the multitude, right? The first advent of Christ reminds us of the Magi. The second advent of, uh, second advent of Christ that we look forward to reminds us of the multitude. But we live right now in a constant age of strife between ethnicities and cultures and nations and, and people even within their nation. So how do we get from where we are to the multitude. The clue, again, is in the song that they sing. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, right? These people have been united by the message of the Lamb and His just and good and joyful rule. So how then did these peoples hear it? How were they gathered? We know the Magi were gathered by this star appearing, but, but how did these people all gather around the Lamb? In the Old Testament, the, the movement is largely that people are drawn in to God as king, but in the New Testament, there's a shift. The movement is largely that people are sent out with the message of God as king. The way the nations are drawn in is by the church going out. Romans 10 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that emphasizes in Revelation 7, the everyone. How then, Paul says, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Right? These Old Testament quotations are tied together with the critical connection that the message goes out when people who have been saved by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, under the banner of Jesus, go out and lift high, as it were, the light of Christ as King and Savior to those around them. For, for each of us, I think when we look at the nativity, right, look at that beautiful, serene scene that maybe is in our yards or our homes, we often shrink it to just be for us. Like, oh, I just love Christmas, right? And, and the emphasis and kind of the, the movement of Christmas is often like being cozy in at home. And it's like, oh, I just love being cozy, right? And we buy these blankets and the ugly sweaters, and it's great. We sit around and watch a movie. But and, and that fits part of it, right? You do have Mary treasuring up these things in her heart. That's part of Christmas. But, but the, the Magi are sort of this stubborn reminder that go every Christmas, what about us? <laughs> what about us, right? The movement of Christmas is, Christmas is not just inward. It is also outward. You know, and Vince and I were talking this week, and he was reminding me, you know how the Magi probably, I mean, you think it's so bizarre. How did they see the star rising, and then they come to, to you know, to Jesus' land? What is it? How did they even get there? You know how they got there? Vince was reminding me that, that it was very likely that when God's people went into exile, one of the purposes of God was that they would be faithful messengers to a foreign culture of the good rule and reign of God. That, that people like Daniel, remember Daniel in the lion's den and all that? People like Daniel were, were brought in as magicians, scholars, you know, prophets who were interacting with all these people. They brought the Jewish scriptures and they, 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 they delivered them. And I'm sure they told other people about Yahweh, about their God faithfully. And then they left, and, and the message continued to work, and these men somehow, hundreds of years later, with that faithful delivery 
of the, the rule and reign of God and character of God, we're, we're making connections between the stars and the Old Testament prophecies, and they came, right? The Magi were only there in a sense because God's people were faithful messengers of who God is and what God is like to them. The multitude will only be gathered if we, if the church as we are, go out and do the same thing as faithful messengers of who God is is. We proclaim the best news in the world, the the news we've been singing about, the news that there is a God who saves, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far off you feel, the Lord has come for people like you. And we not only proclaim it, we live, transform lives under the rule of King Jesus. When we do simple things that are simple for Christians, they are not simple. They are radical acts of testifying to God as king. When we live at peace in, a, in an anxious world, we point to the king. When we serve in a selfish world, we point to the king. When we invite the different or the outcast or the far off, we point to the king. The only way, church, that we get from the magi to the multitude is when we, as the messengers of Jesus, faithfully deliver that good news. Third stop on our journey today, then, is the moment. The moment. Out of all eternity, we live in a unique time in redemptive history between the first advent and the second advent. And Randy Alcorn is an author, talks a lot about heaven. He uses this illustration of the dot and the line, right? What our lives truly are is, is a dot on the line that, that, that goes on forever of eternity. So imagine there's a dot. Remember, there's a line. Imagine there's a line coming out with an arrow that just keeps going forever, right? That's eternity. That's what we will live. But we live right now in this dot, in this unique moment where eternal destinies of people can be decided. And we must remember this year. As we celebrate Advent, I believe the Lord would have us remember the urgency of our message, the urgency of our task as messengers. Look, one of the, one of the things that, that people have talked a lot about this year are the numbers of people dying from various things, right? And you, you see these wonky sort of policy arguments of like, well, you know, this how many people have died from COVID? Well, this is, well, these are just qualifications or this, you know, this, well, and this number, uh, how big is the number going to be? And what is this number going to look like? And it's all just numbers until you know somebody that passes away, right? And here's the reality. COVID is not the only thing killing people. There's, there's people passing away into eternity all the time. I think in America, it's every, something like every 12 seconds, somebody passes into eternity. Uh, in our city, apart from all of this, an El Paso, 15 El Pasoans pass away every day, right? We live in this brief moment where we have the opportunity to invite people to be part of the multitude, the glorious, joyful multitude that Christ is gathering. But you know what else the multitude does for us in this moment? It reminds us that Christ will save many, and he will save many who are gloriously unexpected. 
Now, the Lord doesn't give us exactly the details of, of how many will be saved or which ones or when or how, but we do know this from staring at the multitude in Revelation 7. The multitude will be massive, right? A number that nobody can count. And the multitude will be incredibly diverse with representatives from all over, even from the most unlikely peoples and cultures and nations. So that should give us confidence to seize the moment. We know many will be saved. We know God will create this endless multitude. So why not go? Look, this illustration is not as valid this year, but it is still valid. So don't criticize me, okay? Here's the illustration. Often on Sunday afternoons, I'd, I'll come over to my dad's house and find him watching the Cowboys game. Now, if I'm not aware he's going to be watching the Cowboys game, he always faithfully tapes it and then watches it after church so he's undistracted in his focus on the Lord because it would be a temptation for him if he was getting updates. Some of you are stronger than him. Just this is the way he does it. And I'll go home and, and, and then go over to my dad's house and I'll find him watching the game, but I have already seen the score, right? Now this year, I've stopped looking at the score, but in years past, I would look at the score and you know, when I see that win, that final score come in, I'd be like, yes. And then I'd go to my dad's house and my dad though doesn't know who's gonna win, right? He, he's like, you know, he's the best at like, nope, I don't want anybody to tell me anything. Don't spoil anything. And so he's just going through the experience watching. Oh, 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 come on. Like he's pounding the, you know, the couch and, and, and it, privately I'm just thinking, oh, don't worry. They're going to, they're going to win, you know? And, and he's in this anguish of maybe, oh yes, no. Oh yeah. Oh, you know? And, and I'm just, I'm, you know, on the other couch, just thinking, I'm just smiling. Like, oh, this is great. This is great. Ups and downs and twists and turns, but like, oh, I know it's coming. And, and, and so there's been some games that I think, this, did I read the right score? Right? Because, you know, late in the fourth quarter, it doesn't look great. We're down two touchdowns. But, I, you know, I checked the score, and I'm like, we did win. I don't know. You know? So then I, so that all of a sudden I'm at peace. I'm calm. My dad's in anguish, and I'm just like, I think we got this, Dad. And he's like, I don't know. It doesn't look, you know, I think we got this. Privately, why? Because I know that we got this. I don't know how, but I know we are going to score 15 points in three minutes, and it feels awesome. And so as I'm watching it, I'm like, yes, here it comes, right? That is the effect of seeing the multitude on us as the messengers. We don't know how the multitude will be gathered. We don't know when or where or exactly how it's going to work, but we know the scoreboard at the end of eternity is a multitude of people, unlikely, far off, are gathered in, worshiping and rejoicing in Jesus. And that should give us all the confidence in the world to say, you know what, I'm going to talk to that neighbor. He seems pretty unlikely, but... Spoiler alert, a lot of unlikely people are going to be there. This week, we, we sent an email notification that our friend Maggie, one of the members of the church, dear members of the church, passed into eternity. She formed a relationship with the church through our neighborhood outreach team, just going to serve her, share the gospel, love on them. She and her kids came to the church and were baptized. We as a church had existed here for many years and had never formed a relationship with her, 
But our neighborhood outreach team went out because they knew the truth of Revelation 7. They knew that there's going to be a multitude, and we're going to go out and invite and see what the Lord will do. None of us knew. They did not know that we would have a, a limited time with Maggie. But they went faithfully, and they invited, and it is our joy now to rejoice that our sister Maggie is part of that glorious multitude. And knowing her, she loved rock and roll, and so I bet she is requesting a number of rock and roll worship songs, which I fully support. We don't know. We don't know who the Lord will gather, but we know he will gather many. One of the things, friends, let me end by saying this. One of the things I think that's happened to us in 2020 is that our lives have shrunk. And I hate it, you know. I hate that, like, there's so many limits on what we can do. So often our purpose just becomes making it through the week, making it through the day. And when our mission, when our purpose in life shrinks, our souls shrink too. But the magi and the multitude give us, church, a glorious reminder today that we were meant to be part of something glorious that out of all the ways that God could gather the multitude, he has chosen and privileged us with the task of sharing the message, the rule and reign, the saving purpose of Christ with others. And when we see it again, our, our souls expand in a glorious way. So let's look up today and remember what the Lord has done for us and what he has called us to do. We're going to end by taking communion together, as you can see from the, the communion in front of you. So if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to join us. You can grab one of those little communion cups right now. If you're not a Christian, we just ask that you observe and, and you would receive what we're doing as an invitation from the Lord to you. Uh, this is him. This is not a multitude, uh, but this is a number of folks, uh, probably more folks than you see in any single place these days. And you can be invited to this and the great multitude through Jesus. I want you to listen carefully. Now, today we're going to explore a connection between the Magi and communion that, that I think is glorious. When the Magi brought the gifts to Christ, one of the things we often miss is that there, there is a beautiful and glorious foreshadowing of how they will be brought into the multitude in the gifts that they give Jesus. First, they give him gold, which is a gift fit for a king, then they give him frankincense, which is a priestly spice, a spice used by the priests, prefiguring Christ as the high priest making an offering for, for salvation. And third, they bring him myrrh, which is a burial spice. So when, just think about this, when the Magi bring these gifts to Jesus, and you think, how is it that these far-off people are gathered into the foot of Jesus? Their gifts tell the story. Their gifts tell our story, that we're all far off. 
But the only gift that, that we could give, the only thing that we could give that would bridge the gap between the far off and the near is the person and work of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, it reminds us, Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have it, go ahead and take the bread. And, and Take the bread in your hand and take the bread. And as you do, let's thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you that your body broken bridges the gap, both for the Magi and for us. And we're brought near. And then take the cup. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take the cup. And Father, as we take the cup, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, his bloodshed that brings us near to you. And would you stand and let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we end, our hearts would be full that we would be rejoicing that like the Magi, we who are far off are brought near because of the person and work of Jesus. Lord, it is glorious and unexpected that you would invite us into the multitude of those who sing the salvation song of the Lamb. So Lord, I pray that that would fill our hearts with joy today but Lord, I also pray that we would remember there are so many, so many who do not know the salvation and reign of Jesus in our lives and around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would restore our purpose, restore the joy of our purpose. Lord, that we, this month, we'd be looking for opportunities to point to the reign of Jesus in being kind and serving and loving and laying down our lives for others and point to the salvation of Jesus as we share the Christmas story. Pray that you would do all that and more in our hearts as we close. Amen.